Oh, the joys of parenthood. It'll all be over one day. Just remember that. <laughs> all the suffering and all the tears. Jesus will wipe them all away. You got to keep your perspective if you don't want to go crazy. <laughs> oh, boy. We are in a series, a mini series, on the parable of the sower. And as we have been saying, and I'll repeat again today, that uh, parables as a whole separate dabblers from true disciples. And the disciple is a student of someone. And in this case, a student of Jesus. And as the Bible says, that a disciple, a student, will be like their teacher. And that is the goal of true Christian discipleship, is that we would become like Jesus. And uh, the means that God uses to shape us to become like Jesus are primarily His Word applied by His Spirit in the context of his people. And um, so you want to see how we've been looking at three different soil, two different soils. We'll look at the third today, Lord willing, that um, did not mature, did not produce fruit, did not even get into the ground. And next week, Lord willing, we'll look at um, what true fruitful living is. But let's turn our hearts to God in prayer. Our Father, in Jesus' name we come. We thank you for the Bible. We thank you for your Spirit. And we thank you for uh, Jesus, who is the Word embodied. Everything you've ever wanted to say to us eternally is summed up in Christ Jesus the Lord. Father, we're thankful for him, and we're thankful that he is present with his people when we meet together in his name and he accompanies his word by the power of his spirit and he is the chief shepherd and he is the one who applies uh, the seed of his word to our hearts father thank you for your tenacity your commitment that the good work you began in our lives you will faithfully bring it to completion until the day of jesus christ thank you that even where we are unfaithful you remain faithful you cannot deny Yourself, Father, as we look into your word, we pray that as you have promised in uh, scripture, that it would make us wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. You teach us, rebuke us, correct us, train us in righteousness, and make us more like Jesus than we have ever been before. You're able to do it. You're committed to do it. We pray that you would today in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Matthew uh, chapter 13. Today I want to talk to you about the third soil uh, that is overrun and choked. The seed is choked by thorns. And uh, the title is a double-hearted hearer. The double-hearted hearer, also known as the distracted multitasker. And I want to speak to you about three specific things. First... Uh, because the Lord deeply cares for our needs, let us daily prioritize His kingdom. Because the Lord deeply cares for our needs, let us daily prioritize His kingdom. Second, because the Lord generously gives to us, let us zealously work 
to give to others. Because the Lord generously gives to us, let us zealously work to give to others. And third, as a bit of a correction, but uh, because the Lord unceasingly serves us, let us sacrificially give our lives to please Him. Because the Lord unceasingly serves us, let us sacrificially give our lives to please Him. Uh, please hear um, these words from Matthew 13. I'll be reading verse 7 and verse 22. Matthew 13, verse 7. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And then verse 22 of that chapter, it says, As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness, its deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Then if you turn to Mark chapter 4, verse 7, Mark 4, 7, other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And then Mark 4, 18 and 19, and others are the ones who one sown among thorns, they are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And then in Luke's account in chapter 8, in verse Seven. Luke 8, 7, it says, And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And then in verse 14 of Luke 8, And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares of and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. It's amazing how often many churchgoers often categorize themselves in this particular soil. Uh, so busy with life, so busy with so many different cares in the world that they feel choked, they feel shriveled up and unfruitful in their walk of faith uh, in Jesus. But number one, because the Lord deeply cares for our needs, let us daily prioritize His kingdom. You know, Jesus loves you. Jesus cares for you. Uh, he, he showed this in a number of ways in, in, in one place in John's account of the Gospel, in John 4, verse 34, Jesus said to His disciples, My food, my food is to do the will of Him who sent Me and to accomplish His work. Jesus says, my, my food, and He said this when He was hungry, apparently, and thirsty, 
My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. A couple chapters later, he, he explains what that will is. In John 6.38, he says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus' care for you is demonstrated in these passages, how he, he came to this world for the sole purpose of giving eternal life a living relationship with the living God. And He would carry you throughout your entire life. And on the last day, He would come and raise you from the dead and take you and be with Him, both body and soul. Jesus' tenacious commitment to seeing to it that you experience true salvation, true freedom, true life, true victory, the things we sang about. Jesus is committed that you would have those things as your personal possession. He cares for you. Your Father in heaven, in addition, values you. You remember the chapter in Matthew's account of the Gospel in chapter 6, how Jesus said, um, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, uh, in the parable of the sower, where it says the cares of the life that choke the world. It's the same word used here for anxieties. The anxieties of life. That your basic needs would be met. And uh, Jesus, in this passage, as you're familiar, He reminds uh, His disciples, He reminds us that your Father in Heaven values you. You're more valuable than all the birds in the sky. And um, not only that, but your Father clothes you. He sees to it that you have something to wear. Whatever that might be. And He knows. Your Father knows what you need long before you think to plead. He knows what you need. And because He has this kind of concern and care and value in your lives, uh, you can rest assured that He will take care of you. You don't need to be anxious and uptight about your basic necessities being met. Paul at one point said that we should be content with food and clothing. Because we brought nothing in this world and we're going to take nothing out of this world. And um, we get so uptight. I had a young person this morning so uptight about the dress that they were wearing. <laughs> they couldn't wear a particular dress because it had a tear. They were upset even though the, I told them the dress they have on today I think is prettier than the one that was torn. We need to rest in our Father who cares for us. He will provide for us. And, um, 
After a while, you lay the guilt on there. Some people don't even have a dress to wear, you know? <laughs> you should be thankful you have anything. But our Father knows our needs before we plead. And that's why when Jesus taught us to pray, He didn't begin that prayer with our needs. He began by saying, say it this way, our Father in heaven, you've got a Father. Let's bless His name. Let's seek His kingdom. Let's do His will. And also, give us today our daily bread. Because when we fill our vision with the greatness of God, the, the magnificence of God, our basic necessities seem rather trite in view of such a humongous, marvelous, splendid, awesome God. And Jesus aims to fill our vision with who God is. He tells us, look at the birds of the air. You don't see them begging for bread. Look at the lilies of the field. Consider them how beautiful they are. And know that you're more valuable. That God loves you more. So we should seek first the kingdom. Seek first His righteousness. And, and one of the ways we seek the kingdom, the primary way, is to have the word of the kingdom within us. Rooted deep within us. Producing fruit within us. What do you do with anxiety? What do you do with worry? Well, Jesus says you meditate. That's what He told Martha when she was so obsessed with serving and making preparations for everything in Luke chapter 10. And again, Jesus uses the same word, anxiety. Same word used for the cares that choke the fruitfulness of the world. He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious about so many things, but there's one thing that's necessary. What do you do with anxiety? You sit at Jesus' feet and you listen to what He says. You let the Word of God wash over you and calm you and chill you and give you hope and encouragement. What do you do with anxiety? You pray. You rejoice and pray. That's what God said through Paul in Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. We talked about it last week. But then he goes on to say, don't be anxious, same word, about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. Present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Anxiety is a word that means stampede. It's like a bunch of horses who've been spooked and they're just running all over the place not knowing where they're going. They're just scared. That's what anxiety does to your emotions. That's what anxiety does with our, our psyche. It makes us stampede. We get scared. We don't know what to do. So we just run all over the place. And in very urban, laid-back terms, Jesus would come and say, chill out, dude. <laughs> Sit down and listen for a while then tell me what's on your heart and mind. Isn't that more productive than running all over the place like a chicken with no head? And, uh, you know, you can get worried and you can get anxious about food and about clothing and about what you're going to do tomorrow and what you're going to do next week. And you know what you're going to eat tomorrow, what you're going to drink tomorrow or this afternoon. 
And you know something? There's only one thing God says you need every single day. You don't need to eat every day. You can fast for a long time without food. You can live a long time without food. You don't need food every day. You just don't. Stop believing you do. You don't need food every day. Who, who here believes they need food every day? Put your hands down. You don't need food every day. You're lying to yourself. You don't need water every day. You're going to live at least four days without water. You do not need water every day. Stop it. It's good to have it, sure, but you don't need it. You're not going to die. No, you're not. The only thing that you need every single day to live physically is oxygen. How long can you live without oxygen? Not long. How long can you hold your breath? Not long. You've got to have oxygen. If you don't, you will drop dead, right? All scripture is God-breathed. The Bible is the only thing you need every single day. That's why God makes that association between breath and his word. God breathed it out. The Bible is the only thing you need. Do you relate to the scripture that way? That this right here is the only thing I need to do, I must do today. There's a whole lot of things on my to-do list, but this I must do. I'll shrivel up and die if I don't. I'll get choked if I don't. Do you and I relate to the Bible that way? Or does the Bible get back burner because your belly's growling? Or something else is going on? There's a sale, you know, in the mall. Last week, did you participate in Chick-fil-A? They gave out free chicken if you dressed like a cow. Did you go? We went. It's free food, man. What's up with you? I put on my white shirt. My wife took some black, paper, black plastic bags and taped some pieces on me. I looked like a cow. Looked like an idiot. But I didn't, I didn't open up my wallet, though. See, we, we get our mind thinking that we need food, we need water, we need this, we need that. We need the Bible. That's the only thing we absolutely positively need on a daily basis. It's our oxygen, it's our breath, it's the air we breathe. We sing that song, thy word, right? It is the air I breathe. That's not the right words, but you know the song I'm talking about. <clears throat> Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. Dependent prayer, meditative or meditating on Scripture and depending on Jesus in prayer to work in us and work through us is the only thing we need. God knows better than you. God cares more than you. God is capable despite you and your situation. You know, you, it, it, we, our, our focus needs to be the Word within us so that we might be fruitful. Things can always get there and choke us. I remember the first time I went to China. Before I went to China, people laughed at me. Because they said, Brian, what are you going to eat in China? There's no Whole Foods in China. And, and for, it, it, it was funny at the time, but it was, it was a bit of a, I had to think about it. I said, wait a minute, there isn't a Whole Foods in China. And I had to stop and say, well, wait a minute, are you going to put organic food over the kingdom of God? So I had to kiss Whole Foods goodbye and get on an airplane and eat some stuff I hadn't seen before. Because the kingdom of God in me would have gotten choked 
over some little comfort. And look what happened. It's a funny story, you know, one time I went to China, I went to a church, there's no Whole Foods in China, and there was a Whole Foods bag in the church. I took a picture, my wife has a picture if you don't believe me. And I said, boy, does God have a sense of humor. But we cannot let the cares of the world choke out um, the fruitfulness of God's Word. Because the Lord generously gives to us, let us zealously work to give to others. God has given to you. Uh, don't let the cares of the world, don't let the deceitfulness of riches choke the Word. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him would have, have everlasting life, would not perish but have everlasting life. God has given you an indescribable gift. Jesus in the Bible is described as an indescribable gift. He's given to us. Um, in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, it says in verse, verse 9, it talks about this in, in 2 Corinthians 8 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. You know the grace of God. Jesus loved you. He gave Himself up for you. He sacrificed Himself. Therefore, Jesus says in Luke 12, 15, guard against all greed. Guard yourself against greed. Against covetousness. Against wanting more and wanting and loving money. J.D. Rockefeller was asked, and, and J.D., you know, just so you know, in case you don't know, J.D. Rockefeller, he's the richest person in America that ever was. He would blow Jeff Bezos out of the water. He was probably worth about three or four hundred billion dollars. J.D. Rockefeller was asked at one point, how much money is enough money? And his reply was, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. J.D. Rockefeller was a, quite a philanthropist, though. He was a very giving individual. His, his mother was a solid Christian. He supposedly went to church every Sunday. Read his Bible every day. Interesting, isn't it? Um, riches cannot give you contentment. Rockefeller probably knew that. Riches are deceitful because they can give you a false sense of security. They can give you a false sense of superiority. They can give you a false sense of success. They can give you a false sense of significance. They can do these things. Um, as we said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7, it says very clearly that we brought nothing in this world. We cannot take anything out of this world. I once saw a, a picture of a man who had died. He was in a casket, and the casket was built just like a Cadillac. The casket was shaped in the form of a Cadillac. And he had his fedora on, and he had his best suit on, and his hands were outside a casket like this, and he had money in his hands. I'm not, I'm not making this stuff up. I can't make this stuff up. This is how he wanted to be laid out. Because he believed he could take it with him. You can't take it with you. Riches are uncertain, it says in, in 1 Timothy 6, 17. The uncertainty of riches. Here today, gone tomorrow. You remember in Luke 12, 16-21, there was a rich, as Jesus said, a rich fool. He had so much wealth. 
and, and he started running out of space. And he said, what am I going to do with all my wealth? He says, I know, I'll tear down these old barns and build bigger barns and I'll have plenty of stuff laid up for me. And Jesus says, you fool! You're going to die tonight. Who's going to get your wealth then? And Jesus said, so is everyone who is rich towards themselves and not rich towards God, which means giving to those in need, treasuring up things in heaven. Uh, Riches can give you a false sense of superiority. Paul specifically says, says to the rich people, don't be haughty. Don't be proud. Because if you've got plenty of money, sometimes it can make you arrogant. Because you think that I make the decisions. I was once in a church where the people, it was said very clearly that the people who give more have the right to make a decision. It's crazy. Right or wrong, they, they pay the bills. So let's just lean their way a little bit. Can make you haughty. Riches can give you a false sense of success. You remember the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, a good, good teacher, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus gave, gave him the commandments and he says, well, I've, I've done all these things from my youth. And Jesus looked at him, the Bible says, and he loved him. He says, one thing you lack, go sell your possessions and give to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And it says he went away disheartened because he had great wealth. He couldn't let go. He had a false sense of success. And it gives you a false sense of significance. There was two men who came to Jesus in Luke chapter 12 again, and they were arguing with each other, and they said, Jesus, hey, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. And Jesus says, who made me an arbitrator between the two of you? He says, be on guard against all kinds of covetousness. Because a man's life does not consist in his possessions. Our life does not, is not made up of how much we have. It's who has us. Whether it's Jesus or not. And what happens when, when, we, when we fall for the deceitfulness of riches, the love of money, um, we become a slave to earning wealth. We become a slave to qualifying ourselves to earn more wealth. And then we become a slave to these things and we wind up compromising ourselves. Because if money is the goal, then you've got to have the education to get the job, to get the money, and then you have to have, that becomes the ruling and the reigning thing. There's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with education. There's nothing wrong with a good job. But if, but if money is the goal, for money's sake, so I can have more, I can get all I can, and can all I get, and Sit on the cans. If that's the goal, laying up stuff for self. And not saying, I want to get all I can so I can give as much as I can to others. If that's the goal, then that's a different goal. You know, um, Jesus said it like this. He said in Matthew chapter 6, um, verse 19, He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. You know, if every single time we went on Amazon.com, or Walmart.com, or wherever you go to shop, um, and we said, before we clicked, place my order, um, what I'm about to buy is going to be eaten by a moth, or it's going to rust, or it's going to break, 
or it's going to be destroyed, or it's going to be stolen, one of those things is going to happen to it, we might say delete. Rather, rather place your order. Every time you stand in line at Walmart, you say, what I have in my hands is about to be stolen, or broken, or rusted, or moth-eaten. We might take some stuff and put it back on the shelf. I hope you agree. <laughs> it seem, it's very quiet in here. <laughs> you know, when it gets quiet in the church, you know, the pastor puts a check mark in his mind and says, that's another sermon series down the road. You know, <laughs> you got to come back to that, you know, because the folk aren't. All right. So, so you know from here on out, every amen is, doesn't mean anything, you know. <laughs> Riches cannot give you contentment. John Paul Getty. John Paul Getty, net worth $2 billion, said this, I would gladly give all my millions for just one lasting marital success. He had five wives. He said, I'd gladly give it all up if I could just have one marriage that worked. He probably should have talked to J.D. Rockefeller, who only had one wife. Um, because Getty was of the mind that you either have to have one or the other. You either have to be a successful businessman or you have to have a failed marriage. He saw no other way to it. You either had to have one or the other. It's sad that that's perspective that he had. Um, Paul said, let, no, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something. There's nothing wrong with having. There's nothing wrong with possessing. Against John Lennon. Um, imagine no possession. Anyway, it's another message. Uh, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work that he, with his own hands that he may have something to share with anyone in need. That's the perspective. Why do you go to work? So that you might have something to share. Why do you earn income? So that you might have something to share. It's not just having something, but something to share. That has to be the perspective. That's when life becomes fruitful. That's when, when the word does not get choked. The deceitfulness is of riches is this, I want to have, I want to have, I want to have something. And we don't go to the next step and say, to share. Something to share. Uh, set your hope on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Be rich in good works. Be generous and ready to share. Thus storing up treasure for yourself in heaven. Jesus said, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, poured out into your lap more than what you can contain. For with the measure you use, it shall be measured unto you. Think of that promise. Think of that word. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, poured out into your lap more than what you can contain. Can God trust you with a billion dollars? Can He? What would you do with it? Someone right now just gave you a billion dollars. Can God trust you with it? 
Would you say, I have something now to share? Would other people be the focus or would just clenching it, I have it, would that be the focus? We can't take it with us. Um, In the book of Hebrews it says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The writer of Hebrews said, keep your life free from the love of money. Keep your life free from the love of money. And here's the reason why. He said, keep your life free from the love of money. Because God said, I will never leave you. All the money in the world can't buy God. And all the riches and wealth, the whole universe can't compare with the value and the weight of God. If you have God, you're the richest people in the world. Do we see it that way? Do we treasure the Word that way? This is God's Word. It gives us a connection with Him. It's Him speaking to us. Do we value the Scripture? God has said in Psalm 138, I have, above all things, I have exalted my name and my word. Above all things. I looked up all things in the, in the dictionary. It means all things. It means every single solitary thing. I have exalted my word, my name, God says, above all things. Nothing is above his word. Nothing is above his name. Do we value it that way? Or do we allow other things to come in and choke it so it never matures, it never becomes fruitful? So busy with the care, so busy earning a living, so busy with pleasure, so busy with other things. Not necessarily bad things, just other things. Come in and rob us of time at Jesus' feet, at time in prayer. Um... And, and I am sure, um, this, this Jesus said, and I am sure of this, Paul said, that he who began a good work in you will bring it into completion. Do you know who he said that to? It's important to read passages in context. He said that the people who had committed themselves to participating, to sharing with Paul in the Gospel ministry, it's because they had given them lives for kingdom service, and Paul said to those people, I'm confident that he who began a good work in you, that first God had began a good work in these people who had committed themselves to kingdom work, and he's faithfully going to bring it to completion. Then, <coughs> the Apostle Paul said it like this, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory. Who did he say it to? That's verse 19. He said it to people who in earlier verses had committed themselves to providing in gospel ministry. Who had sought the kingdom first. It's those people that God said, and my God will supply all of your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. It's not just a blanket promise. It's a promise within context. Um, And it's meant to be read that way. Uh, The Bible says in the book of Luke, um, chapter 12, to those who, 
who give themselves to kingdom service, and you don't have to be a pastor or preacher to give yourself to kingdom service. You just have to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness wherever you are, whatever your job might be. It's putting God first, putting Christ first, and seeking him in every way in the context of where he has placed you. It says, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself. Jesus will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. Jesus himself will wait on you in glory for those who give themselves to serve him. Um, the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, and then the, the, the other things and the pleasures of life come in and choke the word. Because the Lord unceasingly serves us, let us sacrificially give our lives to please him. Any pleasure that pauses and paralyzes kingdom work in your life can choke you, and that's what Jesus is talking about. I remember one time I came down, it may not be your problem, but it was my problem at the time. I came down several years ago. I was going to do ministry, and I had, bought, I had a sweet deal from H.H. H. Gregg. I knew somebody who worked there, and they gave me a TV for 45% off, a flat screen, 47-inch Sony. It had the works, man. It was the bomb. Yes, it was. And, and I sat there and had Verizon come and hook that thing up, man. And I had all the channels you could imagine. And I was just sitting there watching. And three and a half hours later, it was dark. I looked out the window. I said, wow, where'd the sun go? And I had zoned, man. I had lost it. I was into that, man. I, I could sit there for days just watching Got up the next morning, put that thing back in the box, and took it right back to the store. There's nothing wrong with watching television. I wasn't watching anything lewd or rude. It was just, it was fun, man. I was just going for the channels. I was like, wow. I didn't really have so many channels. Some people just said, my brother said, you should have just maintained self-control. I said, I did. I controlled myself. I took the thing and put it back in the store. Because <laughs> I could see, I could see the writing on the wall, baby. It was going to be a problem. You know, sometimes you can't choose your battles. Most of the times you can't. But sometimes you can. I didn't want to battle that thing. Um, anyway, when I was a kid, I had model cars. Loved them. Loved to put together model cars. I have a model car in my uh, garage right now. It's not putting together yet. I've had it for, since 1998. <laughs> I'm serious. I, if you think I'm telling the fib, you can come to the house and I'll show it to you. It's a Datsun 300ZG. haven't put it together yet. Because I used to put together model cars, and I would do it for days. My mother had to come in and stop me, you know. <laughs> Brian, put that down. <laughs> and one time, my studies went down the hill, and she came in and sweeped them all off. She said, got rid of all of them. I was crying, man. I was messed up. <laughs> I was only like 13 years old. Don't get excited. You you, some of you think it was like five years ago. My mother's been dead for 14 years, folks. <coughs> but anything, any pleasure, any pastime that takes you away from sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to his word and having his word bear fruit in your life is a pleasure. It's an other thing that can keep you from service, can keep you from being used by God. The Bible says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
In humility, he counted others more significant than himself. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. He pursued what is the best interest in other people. He was committed to that. Desiring something other than God's word ruling in you. Preoccupied with the pleasures of life. All of these things that the world has to offer, pleasures of life, other things, keeps the fruit from being mature. Is maturity a priority in your life? If it is, then the scripture must be a priority. Prayer must be a priority. In the context of God's people, must be a priority. Um, there's no other way to mature. The guilt of Sodom. Many people look at Sodom and Gomorrah and they say, oh, it was, it was their lewd behavior. Well, that was part of it. But what was at the root of that lewd behavior? Where did that lewd behavior come from and spring from? Pride. Excess food. Prosperous ease. Just want some R&R. Just want to take it easy. Get away from it all. But didn't care for the poor and needy. And then it says, then they did an abomination. But what was at the root of that abomination was all these other things. Ezekiel 16, 48. If your God is your belly, your appetite, that's what Paul said, then, 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 then you're an enemy of the cross of Christ. If your God is your belly, your appetite, retirement, consumerism, can all become an idol. Not the kingdom of God. Not kingdom work. Just wanting to make your chief end relaxation. The sumen bonum. is just to chill. Some people it's travel. There's nothing wrong with traveling. But if you're traveling just to travel with no kingdom thought, no why is... What, what does Christ have to do with this? What does the kingdom of Christ have to do? Well, I just want to see the mountains. I just want to see this. But there's no kingdom objective. There's something wrong with that picture. There's something wrong with that. We have gotten into a, a whole uh, yoga culture. Sitting there just to relax. Empty your mind. Empty your thoughts. Transcendental meditation, all of these things. You know, the Bible never tells you to empty your thoughts. It says to fill your thoughts with Scripture. It's nothing worse than an empty-headed person. There's nothing wrong with stretching. I like a good stretch like everybody else. <laughs> but you have to ask yourself, what's the goal? Is it a kingdom service? Paul said to Timothy, bodily exercise has some profit but it has no profit in the afterlife. It has no profit for godliness. It only has a little bit of profit for this life. That's it. You know, high cholesterol, low cholesterol rather, means nothing in hell. Um, entertainment. We live in an entertainment culture. We just want to be entertained. What's the next thing that's going? What's trending? If that becomes a thing, let's look on YouTube and see what's trending. Let's look on Instagram, see what's trending. What's trending today? This is trending every day. The Scripture's trending all the time. But are you trending? We want to see who's trending. You and I should be trending. The church is trending. 
God in the church, Christ in the church, working through the church, that's what's trending. The Scripture is trending. Can it be said of us? Is that what it says on YouTube when you go to and it says, what's trending? Does it say, these Christians are trending? They're making an impact all over the world. Look at how they're trending. Look at how the Gospel is trending. Because God's people need to be filled with His Word. They need to keep pleasures in life from choking the Word. Jesus is always trending. Do you know that pornography is still the most searched thing on the internet? Top three places. The most searched thing in America, in the world, on the internet, is pornography. That's a bane, man. That's a shame. That's an embarrassment to the church. That we've gone so far away. And, and oftentimes the church is no different than the world when it comes to this. The pleasures of life. We are a self-indulgent culture. Do you ever pray? Do you ever find yourself in your prayer time praying that pornography would be brought down? That people would fall in love with Jesus, that they would become so attractive with the cross of Christ that they would start putting sights down that promote pornography. It's a trillion dollar industry because we are obsessed with self, obsessed with self-indulgence and not obsessed with putting to death sin because I have a Savior who's so attractive and so beautiful and so wonderful and so majestic and so splendid and so in love with me. And Joseph was approached by Potiphar's wife. He said, come to bed with me. He said, no! Behold, look at all these things God has done. Look at how wonderful God is. How am I going to turn on Him and do this? That's the only thing that'll stop it. You have to have a deeper and greater attraction. Your passion has to be caught up, arrested by, captivated by the cross of Jesus, captivated by the bleeding Savior, the resurrected King, the living Lord. So that even the thought of it becomes nauseating to you. Why brag about what's going to sag? It's all photoshopping. The point is that we're training our culture, we're training our, our, our world around us. We've been trained in hedonism. Pleasure, self-indulgence as a chief end. The world we live in sees the chief end as, as pleasure. Just indulge yourself. You only live once until you die and die again. We're training ourselves to be narcissistic and excessive interests and admiration of self and physical appearance. Narcissists, hedonists, voyeurs. We need a bigger, more compelling fixation, a preoccupation that is fruitful and doesn't lead to being choked. And Paul gives it to us in Romans 
chapter 12. He puts it all together in that passage. Romans chapter 12, um, in case you haven't noticed, comes before Romans 1 through 11. Uh, but Romans chapter 12, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. He doesn't just say, present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. He says, I appeal to you, I urge you, I beg you, in view of the mercies of God. You've got 11 chapters stacked, unfolding the mercies of God down through history. And he says, in view of this, and it all comes summed up in Calvary, it all comes summed up in a bleeding Savior, an entombed Lord, a risen King. It all comes summed up in the Gospel. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your body, you offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. This is your reasonable act of worship. It's your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing Scripture, the renewing of your mind. Why? So that you might prove what is good, what is acceptable, what is pleasing to God. God has given you the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is at work in you, creating the desire and the power to live a life pleasing to God. I've never found in my life, I've been a Christian for more than a couple years, but I, I've never found in my, in my Christian life where, 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 where the Scripture is, or studying the Bible uh, uh, becomes something that in the end is anything but refreshing. It will refresh your soul. What I have found, what I have found is that when I get myself worn down with cares and worn down with the deceitfulness of riches and worn down with the pleasures of life, that, then the Scripture becomes a heavy weight. It becomes one more thing in my life that I have to do to keep up appearances, because it hasn't been central. But when Scripture is central, then all these other cares, all these other deceitful things, all these other pleasures become trite, become minimal, become eh, whatever. When Scripture becomes central. And, and God's Word is, has such power and such ability to transform, such ability to renew, such ability to refresh. Some people say, well, the Bible, I think the Bible is boring. You're boring. The Bible is not boring. The Bible is God's Word. Would it be boring to you if Jesus Christ came here bodily and started talking to you? Well, it's the same thing that happens when you read Scripture. He's just not bodily there. God's Word can't be boring because God can't be boring. Everything in the world was created by Him and all the glory you see in creation came from Him. It's impossible for guess an oxymoron. Boring God. Boring Scripture reading. Boring church. Well, <laughs> that can happen when the Scripture's not central, right? When the worship's not true, it can go south. When the preacher is long, <laughs> come on somebody, say amen. <laughs> ah, we're, 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 we're done. <laughs> I 
but sit by the word of God at the feet of Jesus and meditate. And, and, and tell God, have a powwow with God to say, you know, I don't, I'm not feeling it, Jesus. But I'm here. And I want you to say something. I want you to speak through the scripture. And he, if you seek him and you search for him with your whole heart, he'll show up. And before you know it, you'll be dancing. You'll be shouting. You'll be having church. If you sit there just a little while longer and don't just give up. Say, oh, I got something else to do. Oh, I got this to do. I got that to do. Oh, there's a sale. There's, there's that. There's cares of life, deceitfulness of riches, pleasures of life, other things. Other things. It could, it could be another book. Ask yourself that question as we close. Do you find other books more interesting than the Bible? Ouch! Right? Sit there and read for hours other books that come to the Bible. I get my 15 minutes to God, and then I'm done. <laughs> we want him to zap us in 15 minutes. It's crazy. You know, we're crazy. Sit long and hard. You know, it's Sunday. You know, spend the whole day. Read the book of Isaiah. You got nothing else to do, right? Of course you have other stuff to do. Put a tape on if you got other stuff to do. Listen to it. I knew a woman. She was 99 years old. She, had, she couldn't read. Her, she, she, couldn't, she could read, but she couldn't see the page. You know, you get one of them giant jumbo, you know, print Bibles. She couldn't read it. She had, she had in her living room lined up every single book of the Bible taped. Every single morning she'd come down, push that button, and sit there for an hour and just soak. And if you met this woman, she was, she was a godly woman. I mean, you just see Jesus all, all up in her because Jesus was talking to her. And you may say, well, when I'm 99, no, no. She lived a legacy like that. Her whole life was like that. Discipling people, ministering to people, ministering the word to people. That's the one thing she wanted every day. Just give me Jesus. Just let me listen to him. You do that. You'll become like a fruitful tree. We'll talk about it a little bit more or less next week. Let's pray. Our Father, in Christ's name, we give thanks to you for your scripture. We thank you for uh, the context you've put us in. We thank you that in light of all the pleasures in this life, Lord, the other things that we could do, uh, in light of all of the wealth that we could have, in light of all of the cares that we might have, there's nothing more attractive, more beautiful than, 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 than you. And we see you in Jesus, who is the word of you, our God. We see you in Scripture. God, give us grace to camp out deeply and to meditate long and hard on your word and to pray it back to you. And Father, make us fruitful. Keep us from being choked. Keep us from being immature. You're coming back, dear God. You're coming back to reap where you didn't sow seed because you've got an, an expectation of growth and maturity in our life. Help us, Lord, not to be disappointing in that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.